Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. My name is Lucinda Carney and I'm your host. And this week, I wanted to talk about practical wellbeing strategies. There is no doubt that this is a hot topic for all of us, both personally and professionally. Uh, As we navigate these times, it's all very well as coming out of lockdown, but actually, how do we do that? And wellbeing is a topic which is really, really important all of the time, um, but it's likely to be something that we can ignore, I suppose, at our peril now, because so many of us will have, have had experiences with wellbeing or mental health challenges during this time. So what I wanted to do in terms of this podcast, in terms of the structure, it's going to be a solo episode and I'm going to use some content that I took from a webinar that I ran a couple of weeks ago on how to provide and enhance and manage well-being during change. And what I want to look at is what are the sort of risks that we may be seeing with regard to well-being as we've gone through lockdown, but also as we start to return to the workplace. I wanted to think about how we can spot mental health concerns early, because the reality is that this is relevant for us for the foreseeable future. And actually, I'll mention some stats in a moment about the issues regarding mental health generally in in the uh, well the workplace. And that's not just the UK. Actually, I think um, from what I gather is it's even higher in the States. But how can we engage the line manager in spotting mental health concerns early and having the tools and courage to deal with it? And maybe how can we develop a wellness culture? So I'll be sharing ideas of my own, but I'll also be sharing um, inputs I've had from uh, people who've taken part in the webinar. So I've had some really good numbers of people getting involved. So I've got a few nice ideas that I think will hopefully be practical and you can take away from this particular podcast. Before I kick off, however, I thought it was worthwhile saying that I've had a a wobble myself uh, this weekend at time of recording. It will be a couple of weeks ago by the time this episode goes out. And it just shows really that wherever we are, I think it's very easy for us to drop into um, a period of depression. That doesn't have to be a a clinical depression where you actually need to go and get um, help if you spot it early enough and you can pull yourself out of it. And certainly I spotted that I was actually hitting a slump, hitting a bit of a depression at the weekend. Some of it I would say was self self-imposed I suppose as there starts to be a little bit of a a monotony to what's going on I do like variety I feel that that's probably something that I was not dealing with so well and certainly potentially having a bit too much wine of a weekend to deal with it which of course in itself is a depressant so I'm on a self-imposed dry spell at the moment to uh, help myself pick myself up and I've also made myself eat really well I've been out doing 10,000 plus steps I've been those of you who know me, I'm into my netball. Okay, we can't net play netball at the moment, but I've been shooting um, some goals in the garden and just doing everything that's in my control. And actually, three days on, I feel significantly better already. So if we are lucky enough to 
spot the signs of us hitting her down, then the key really is for us to avoid falling into that dark black hole. And it's easier said than done for many. But I take that from my sister, who is somebody who's had a huge number, a huge amount of CBT, huge amount of counselling. And I always remember her saying that um, they, that her counsellor had said that mental illness or mental health is a bit like falling into a black hole. And the first few times you actually just don't see it coming and you just fall into it. The problem is once you're in that black hole, you can't get out of it. And once you get a bit more experienced at what that feels like or when you can spot something, you can see that black hole coming and maybe walk around it. And I think that's the purpose for me of this podcast is to help ourselves be open. Shouldn't be any stigma about the fact that we can all fall into a black hole or have a black dog, my grandma used to call it. Uh, It's perfectly natural and normal and we can make it more likely to happen for ourselves if we're not looking after ourselves um, and we can also prevent it. But the key is what can we do to spot these things early so that we don't have people who end up being off work for, for a sustained amount of time because they have ended up in a, in a, you know, a clinical type of depression. So uh, that's what I wanted to do. It's going to be very practical. I'm not claiming to be a health professional in this area, although for my sins, I did actually sell antidepressants as a pharmaceutical rep many, many years ago. Um, But uh, I am someone who think that this is something that is worth uh, being aware of, having got family that have suffered with with mental illness. So, I mean, when we're talking about good mental health, well-being, that shouldn't be stigmatised. In actual fact, we have mental health in the same way that we have physical health. The reality is it goes up and down a spectrum from good to poor. And this is where this comes into something that we can control ourselves. Do we know to what extent we are or where are we on that spectrum? Maybe this comes into emotional intelligence, our own self-awareness about what makes us feel good or what doesn't make us feel good. The reality is this is something that needs to be just on on the agenda at work and not stigmatized because smart employers know that the organisations will perform better when our staff are healthy, motivated and focused. And if their mental health isn't healthy, then they're not going to be there. Now, the sort of things we can do in an organisation, we can help help staff feel that their work is meaningful and we can help them feel that they're valued and supported. And that in itself is going to help people with well-being. So all of those are good management practice. And I suppose pre-COVID, that would be the sort of thing we would focus on. But right now, we also need to be aware of the fact that there's lots of things outside of work which are less under the control of the organisation that we also need to have empathy for as well, because they are just as likely to affect people's mental health. So you'll know what many of those things are. The reality is we want to, I suppose the purpose for this session is to think about how can we recognise when things aren't right and what sort of things can we do to help people. Now, before I go into that, though, let's just share some statistics. Now, in the UK, mixed anxiety and depression, and this is pre-COVID, is the most common mental disorder in Britain, with 7.8% of people meeting criteria for diagnosis. And mixed anxiety and depression has been estimated to cause one-fifth of days lost from work in Britain. And the interesting thing I would observe about that is that that's across everybody. Um, I know people who've gone off when they've had to go off work. There's one thing if people are going off with a day here or there, but quite often it's a long-term sick. So if someone goes off with depression, they're often off for three months or so, and that has big knock-on impact. It's not uncommon. That's the key. It's one adult in six has or has had a common mental disorder. 
So if people are reporting stress, and this is where it starts to link in, these things very often, someone who's reporting as stressed, maybe that's a safer term for them, 51% of people who report stress will say they feel depressed and 61% are feeling anxious. Worryingly, of those reporting stress, 16% may have self-harmed and 32% are saying that they've had suicidal thoughts and feelings. So this is really quite serious you can see here and this is the source that I've got here is from the Mental Health Foundation so that's a charity the mentalhealthfoundation.org if you want to look at these. So this is what's going on generally and then 37% of adults who reported feeling stressed also reported feeling lonely and I felt that that was quite an important statistic to be aware of because if you had someone who's working in your organisation who's had to self-isolate or they live on their own or they're in a relationship which isn't a positive one and they were already feeling stressed, that loneliness is going to be compounded. So I would see that they would be at a higher risk of something that's going to put them into pressure. So stress, anxiety and depression, they all feed into each other. And let's face it, we're all going to have had some experience of that. Now, when I carried out this um, as a, a webinar, we had 100 odd people on this webinar and we just did a quick poll to say of those people who are on there, had their mental health gone up, gone down, fluctuated? Um, and this was the, the information that we got. No one reported that their mental health had improved during lockdown. 29% said it was much the same as usual, as in healthy. 7% said their mental health had been much the same as usual, as in less healthy. So 7% of them knew that they weren't, didn't have particularly healthy um, mental health in the first place. 56%, and I would also have chosen this, fluctuated but have managed to pick themselves up. And 7% felt that their mental health had declined during lockdown. So if you take that as a proportion of people in your organisation, broadly 15% have not been doing particularly well. So mental health declined or it's continued to be low. 56%, so the majority, that's add that together, you've got 70% of people have had mental health ups and downs. Only 30% the minority have felt healthy during this. And I think the fluctuating one is you don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. I know that my children have had ups and downs and I am only talking, we're fortunate, I'm talking about maybe two, three days as opposed to weeks. But a lot of the time we've spotted it and I've insisted that they've got out of their dressing gowns uh, I've got up at a decent time or, and done similar things. So I've nipped it in the bud, I hope, um, at home with myself and my family. But if people don't have that kind of support, then it's very easy for them to decline quite strongly. So this is good for us to have a think about this. Uh, the concern, and that's not going to surprise anybody though, is that while we, while we may develop a vaccine or are developing a vaccine for the virus, there isn't going to be one for the associated mental health issues. And 52% of people professionals surveyed and this is a survey that we carried out, again, there was over 100 people responded to this, believed that mental health issues will increase post lockdown. And that would be substantiated by what came through on the actual, um, on, the, on the poll that we carried out. And concerningly, 25% felt that attrition or absenteeism might increase. And of course, if we do have an increase in attrition or absenteeism, that's going to be a challenge. We may have more people with more holiday in the workplace. We may have fewer people in the workplace due to prolonged furloughing, or having to make redundancies. So there's more pressure on those who have to do the work in order to help our businesses grow out of this um, emergency situation. So again, being 
mindful of well-being and how we can help people is going to be really, really key. Now, we'll still be emerging from lockdown when we um, when you listen to this podcast, which is going to be a couple of weeks from when I've recorded it. But the concerns that people professionals are citing uh, are around things like knowing how to keep people safe in the workplace, knowing the right time to return to the workplace, if to do it at all, treating employees fairly with continual childcare or shielding issues. A number of people are actually concerned about the viability of their business long term. A fifth of people said that that was one of the things they were concerned about. And then that knocks on into additional financial concerns for people. The vast, vast majority, though, of people were saying, and it was 71% of um, of the people who responded, were that it was the safety of the workplace. They also felt, however, safety of the commute. So that actual safety aspect is something that's very, very real for people um, and not to be underestimated. So should we rush back is a question. The other concern that came through quite strongly from the people that were responding to us where they were concerned about integration of those who've been on furlough. So helping people get back into work, but also reintegrate. In some areas, there were very big concerns about um, whether or not people would be seen to have had, you know, a lucky, they've been lucky because they've been furloughed, they kept their job and they hadn't had to work. And equally, there are lots of people who are feeling burnout. So through the chat on this webinar, many, many people were reporting that people were feeling exhausted, burned out at this stage as they're having to keep going again more people keeping the job done and made slightly worse perhaps during hot weather when other people have been furloughed so it is worth thinking about how you can reward those people who have have been working through and keeping the business going I'm thinking about this in, in my own business as well how can you reward those people and how can you ensure that those were furloughed because it's not their fault that they're furloughed it's just uh, in terms of practicalities, it's 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 a um, it was a job preservation thing to do, but how can we make sure that there isn't a, a them and us situation that emerges, um, and maybe you know find a way of recognising? And it is interesting because you'll have the same dilemma. I don't know what the answer is. Some people we might give extra holiday. Um, of course, what we don't want is everyone being on holiday for the rest of the year because of the fact that we need people to work and be productive. Certainly, where my head's going for my team is thinking about probably some additional holiday or breaks but they being able to take them over a longer period of time to space it out is what I might look at but I will probably what I'll do is I'll ask them what they would find um, beneficial as a thank you. So let's now consider practical tips and I'm going to look at this now in terms of um, what can we do as well-being tips if for yourself or for others so really simple evidence-based well-being tips I will, by the way, make these slides available to download if they're useful because, and I'll make them available as a PowerPoint because a number of people found them quite helpful because there's lots of lists I've got here. And then you could take them and use them for for your team if you wanted, if you found them valuable. So I'm going to look at um, wellbeing tips and also what you can do in terms of encouraging managers to uh, spot wellbeing issues early and then also how you can promote well-being more generally strategically long term so this is now us thinking about helping others as opposed to thinking in on ourselves and you know general statistics now i've taken most of these tips from again from the mentalhealth.org foundation um, and they are evidence-based well-being tips but i'm going to add to them as well one of the first ones they say is keep active and that of course is exercise 
I think if you get it outside is key, that's because you're getting your endorphins. Uh, if you do actually get a little bit of a sweat on, you're going to feel better. And actually, if you're outside with nature, definitely that helps people to feel better. So if they're stuck at their desk, presenteeism isn't going to help. And just being stuck in one place, which of course is much more common at the moment, can end up in people being less productive. So really keep active yourself and encourage your team and others to be active. Get them out a number of times a day, not just for a walk once a day. Eating well and remaining hydrated is a really valuable one as well, because actually, you know, when we are this thing we can control, are we eating healthily? If we're getting the right foods in, making sure that it's nutrient dense food, not too much sugar, really easy to get into good or bad habits. So I said myself, I switched myself into going right, good, healthy things, got myself smoothies going, the Nutribullet in the morning, uh, eating omega threes and, and just 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 switching that effort into good food um, and good hydration and just feeling good. The third one is be cautious with stimulants. So whether it's alcohol, whether it's caffeine, whether it's nicotine, whatever it might be, they do give you an up, but they also give you a corresponding down. Actually, you could even put sugar in that category. So just be cautious with it um, and, and think about using those in moderation because they, they may feel like they help you in the short term, but they can definitely have a knock-on impact. And knock-on impact is quite often on number four, which is prioritise quality sleep. So if any of you find that alcohol or caffeine or nicotine um, affect your sleep, which I would certainly say they do, um, then prioritise quality sleep, then maybe that's a good reason to think about it because there is no doubt that our mood is affected by the quality of our sleep. And uh, you can measure your sleep. I'm, I've got um, one of these watches that can see what the quality of your sleep is. You can become a bit obsessed about it, if I'm honest. But uh, prioritise that and keep an eye on that. Then in terms of the day, I mean, this links to being active, take real breaks. When I asked my team what helped them about their well-being, they all had slightly different things, but it was like taking real breaks, whether it's going down and kicking a football around with your son or just, you know, going and kneading your sourdough bread, whatever it might be, something that's a change of activity and scene. And ideally, you know, we might not be going too far away, but just a, a little bit of a change is genuinely um, something that's really nice. I mean, actually, I've funnily enough just come back from a walk around St Albans Verulam Park, which I haven't been to for th more than three months. Um, and we actually went as a family and we saw the ducklings and that was, was really nice. I feel quite recharged by it. And it was a proper change of scene, whereas normally I've just been walking very close to home. So that's five. Um, act, keep active, eat well, keep hydrated, cautious with stimulants, prioritise quality sleep, take real breaks, change of activity and scene. Then we go on to maintaining social contact. So this doesn't have to be Zoom because Zoom exhaustion can set in, but whatever it does to make you feel recharged, having some sort of social contact with others. Do things that you're good at and enjoy. So if you're a great cook, if you're a great watercolourist, if you um, are great at writing stories or doing jigsaws, do those things. Um, focus on doing things that you're good at, not just the things that you find hard, because actually that's about being kind to yourself. And actually Mental Health Week this week, their hashtag was be kind. And that knocks on to being kind to yourself and others, which is point eight. So be nice to yourself, be nice to others. In terms of working with, with other people, encourage people to talk about how they feel and be prepared to say how you feel. 
On top of that, also be prepared to ask for help. Don't see that as a sign of weakness. See that as a sign of strength. Because actually, if you talk about how you feel and where you struggled and ask others for help, that gives them permission to realise that if they're feeling hard or feeling um, they're struggling, it, it's legitimate. It's actually a sign of bravery to, to admit that you're not necessarily finding things as easy as possible. Now, I added a number 11 on here. I don't think anyone would disagree with it, but May 1 to 10, I broadly got um, from this charity who called them evidence-based. Uh, so I can't say that this is evidence-based, but I think it's fairly obvious. And reduce social media. If you feel like your mental health is going down a bit, I would say reduce social media. Um, my daughter's just taken herself off Snapchat and Instagram for a bit because she was finding the um, the, the racial pressure really hard the, the, and very disturbing, all the stories out there. And really quite confusing. There's a lot of information, um, a lot of really tough stuff to take in. So if you feel that that's affecting you negatively, take a break from it. Um, I think she'll go back on it, but she just felt that it wasn't positive. I said, well, you can just have a holiday from it. Um, just tell your friends. Um, and she's decided to do that. So those, I'd say, are practical tips that any of us can do if we feel we are circling or that that black hole is visible in the distance. All of those things, you don't have to do all of them, but you know, a selection of them could be all it takes for us to be able to circumvent falling into that black hole. So moving on from that, how do we spot you know, other people perhaps struggling? Now, that is a really interesting one because there are very many different things that you might see. And the reality is it may well be that what is one person's stress sense, let's say one person who withdraws, that might be them just recharging, taking a break, compared to someone else who starts get jumping into everything over, maybe getting over-involved in social media or over-involved in chats. Either of those could be um, stress signs. The key is as knowing what is normal for others. But the sort of things that I would say are warning signs are people withdrawing or lacking contact with others, um, people procrastinating or maybe appearing to be a bit chaotic in their approach to work, people talking about being drained or tired, We've heard a lot of that. That is definitely a sign of burnout. People working very long or unusual hours, unable to take a break. People perhaps not being productive or taking too much on. So you're going to see the converse. There's a flip to both of these. Um, and maybe people not getting involved um, at all. So social in terms of the social forums. So any of those, I would say, could be signs. They don't have to be, but it's an opportunity to find out and maybe ask that person how they are. The key is knowing our people. I think sign is a change from the norm or you might pick it up. I mean, we're, we're talking virtually with people where they're a bit flat. Their tone of voice is different. Uh, lots of people are really good at faking being happy, um, but you might just pick up on it. And say, you know, how are you really? Uh, and just often just encourage them to take a real break, listen to them, um, you know, work out how you can support them just by having that level of empathy. Now, I asked on the webinar, what would be the most visible sign of stress for those who attended? And this was one, and the uh, key ones that came through, 71% and people could respond to more than one, so they may come over as being irritable or emotional. So if you spot someone being a little bit over emotional or irritable uh, at work, then that would be a high sign of people being stressed. I think we also show that at home probably. Withdrawing from others, 55% said that that was a key um, thing that they might do. So if you do know someone's gone a bit quiet, then that's quite a key one. 
and then 42% were saying it was lack of productivity or focus. And I've experienced that with myself and with my team and I do feel that sometimes you could sit at your desk all day and try and do something which if you're in the right zone, you could do in 90 minutes. I would much rather someone took that time out and went and recharged and did it in 90 minutes than just be there for the whole day. And I would say that if you're a sensible manager, it's a sensible thing to, to encourage managers to do that. So what else can you encourage your line managers to do? Because fundamentally, if you're an HR person, which I know a lot of the audience is, a people professional, you're going to try and make a difference through your organisation. You can't personally uh, look after everybody's well-being. So the line managers, they need to be available. The people, then people need to be able to ask some questions, get support if they need to, and they need to feel like they've got their metaphorical door open if that's Skype or whatever it is, just not being completely unavailable. That doesn't help people. So be available and uh, in a positive way that people feel able to ask for help or, or ask for information. Second one is if, if they're struggling themselves, be open, share personal struggles or challenges, ask how people feel, and most importantly, listen to the answer. And ideally do it at the start of the conversation, you know, at least once once, like we do, you would do in, um, in a one-to-one, uh, or ideally do in a one-to-one. Uh, I know lots of one-to-ones have been quite transactional. I think asking how people feel is very important and will continue to be important as we, as the road to recovery. We need to know our people um, as people, I believe more thoroughly than we got away with prior to this crisis. Then I think it's about trusting people, demonstrating trust. I heard about someone who was having to get everybody to complete time cards and things like that. That concerns me, it really does, because if you don't feel trust, the best thing to do is to give people trust. They've got to trust them about how to deliver against clear, agreed goals. That energy would be better placed in agreeing clear motivational goals, in my opinion, than getting people to fill out a timesheet. But when we're agreeing those goals, be realistic about the expectations and timescales. And this would be good practice anyway. When people achieve these goals, recognise the achievement. If they don't deliver against the goals, then follow up and ask why. You know, what happened? Was it too difficult? Did they not know what to do? Did they get distracted by something else? Really, this is classic performance management. But So we're actually saying just do what we should really be doing anyway but in an element, in a level of trust in an adult um, environment, because there may well be reasons why people aren't able to achieve certain things in current circumstances that they may have been able to achieve differently otherwise. I personally would say avoid encouraging presenteeism, e.g. nine to five, etc. Tell people go for a walk because it just demonstrates you trust them. As long as they know what you want to achieve by when and they've got the support to deliver it and of course, follow up if they're not achieving and they said they were, would have been able to. But that has got to be better than presenteeism. And with that, the way you do that is about encouraging our managers, uh, encourage our people to set and own their own outputs and timescales. Then we're only holding them accountable for the things that they've agreed to and bought into. Um, obviously, those have got to align with the business requirements, but it's having that coaching approach to getting the goals agreed and give permission for people to stop and take a break when needed. In fact, give direction to do that, I would say, um, if needed. So those are my 10 top tips for managers, if you wanted to encourage managers to, to encourage wellbeing. In fact, what we'll probably do is we'll put that into a little infographic as a download that you can get hold of to, to make that really easy. So be available, be open and share personal struggles, ask how people feel and listen to the answer, trust your people to deliver against clear, agreed goals, be realistic about expectations and timescales, 
recognise them. Apparently, we recognise people far less um, at the moment when people are virtual, a bit remote, but also hold them accountable. So ask why they didn't deliver if they didn't achieve whatever reason. Try to avoid presenteeism and timesheets. Encourage people or empower people to set their own outputs and timescales and give permission for people to stop and take a break when needed. So those are my 10 tips for managers. And then my final point, and sorry, this is quite a long one. There was lots of information, but I hope it's quite good information for you. Um, so we're bundling in. Please tell me, apologies if it's um, overrunning. But this is more than about how we can do this strategically. So chunking up, how can we promote well-being as leaders or through our organisation? So what you could do is ask other leaders to be open about their own mental health. Have people again to share those stories so it isn't something that's, that's uh, hidden. Provide certainty. If you can provide people with certainty about change, they're going to fret about less. You're giving them control. So if you know you're going to bring people back from furlough or part time or what that is, tell them what you can tell them, even if you don't know the detail yet, but let them know. And don't, although legally you can bring people back in 24 hours, why do that to them? They've still got stuff that they need to sort out. So give certainty and warning as much as possible. I think now is a really good time to put in listening mechanisms. So putting in things like pulse surveys, that's certain we've been running those through our system. Um, so I think that's quite helpful just to have a sense of how people have felt going through and coming out of this period. And maybe put something like a, a rolling meeting agenda item on your team or your management meetings, which is asking about how we feel and say, you know, generally temperature check, how we're feeling. Um, generally, these things, again, are better at the start of a meeting rather than at the end. Model good behaviours. Ask your leaders to model good well-being behaviours to show that they are walking the dog. They're demonstrating work-life balance. Um, they're you know, recharging their batteries. So encourage that. Maybe you can uh, do things that that allow you to compete with well-being incentives like a team step count or some sort of marathon or, or whatever it might be. So things that give some competition or fun around well-being activities that people can get involved in. I really would recommend that creating a culture where outputs are more important than hours is a really good way forwards. Um, so that is certainly something I believe in. It's a positive culture generally um, and outputs and trust, that would be the key for, for longer term, particularly if we continue to work remotely for longer, which we're likely to, aren't we? Let's face it. Have you got a safe space for someone to escalate outside of their line manager? So if you've got one of these um, helplines or you've got mental health first aiders. Can you provide those or access to those? Make sure people have got those. And educate your line managers. So in terms of the tips I mentioned before, tell them this is how we promote well-being, and make sure you spell it out to the managers what you want them to do. Now, a couple of other really great ideas came out of the, uh, that I wanted to share with you, came out of the actual webinar as well. So there was one person who said that, and I think it was Becky, I'm trying to remember, um, that said that they had put in place like a telephone tree where they'd done buddies. So obviously you can't call everybody, but everyone had one person they would call once a week to find out how they were doing. So it's a couple of calls and it was just a, a bit of a check-in. It was a, a, a promoted well-being. I thought it was quite a nice um, way in which people had done that. And another area had actually done a shortened working week or working days to reduce burnout. Uh, that's an interesting one because if you've got a leadership team that, that scares the life out of them, which are all about productivity. But yeah, maybe we can be more productive in less time. Certainly if we're focused and energised, we can often achieve a lot more. So 
there's quite a lot of information that I've covered there. I hope that um, it's useful to you. We've, we've talked about some statistics about how common well-being is and how people are feeling. Many of us, in fact, most of us will be having some a bit more uh, of a challenge around our mental health than we might have done previously. We've talked about 11 evidence-based well-being tips that we can you know, deliver ourselves and we can help others to do. I've talked about points that you can get line managers if you want them to promote well-being in their teams. So we gave you 10 points for that. Um, and then we just also talked strategically about some ideas that you might be able to use to de develop more of a, a well-being culture. And say, I hope these are all useful. What I'm going to do is I will put these slides so you can get hold of these lists um, and they'll be available. If you go via hruprising.com, I'll put links to these and we'll put them in our, um, where we put our normal downloads that you can get um, access to the resources. And we'll turn some of them into little infographics, which would mean that you can then share them with your line managers. I think the line manager one, um, the 10 tips would probably be quite helpful for you to circulate. So if you're trying to build some resources to promote well-being in your workplace, hopefully you can access those and make use of them. So that's it for now. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's HR Uprising episode on well-being. Look after your own mental health well-being. As per my episode a couple of weeks ago, I have noticed that um, the listenership doesn't seem to be so good at looking after themselves. The, the episodes that have been about managing our own stress or managing our own self-health haven't had the same number of hits as managing underperformance. So my challenge to everybody listening is actually, are we all so busy helping others that we're still not looking after ourselves first? and foremost. So do look after yourselves. And as ever, if you're finding the HR uprising of value, please do um, rate us, uh, give us some feedback, connect with us on LinkedIn. It's really, really helpful, actually, if you do share, share um, if you are getting value out of the podcast, telling others about the podcast um, and writing reviews really helps uh, us rank and other people then find us as well. So, um, and obviously, if you want us to do something different, please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening and see you next week. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.